I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Motorsport Magazine for the very best in motor racing. Welcome everybody to another Motorsport Magazine podcast and my goodness me, this time we really do have somebody special with us. One of our uh, Hall of Fame inductees in fact and uh, he's a three-time IndyCar champion, twice winner of the Indy 500, Dario Franchitti and he joins us this morning in London at the Royal Automobile Club in the Seagrave Room which is a very special place to be, I must say. It's got a good feeling and there's nice pictures on the walls. We're looking at a picture of uh, Archie Scott Brown, among others. Great place to be. Um, Before we get underway, let me tell you about uh, our very latest subscription offer. You can save 23% on the cover price when you subscribe and uh, you will also get, free of charge, the ITV Formula One season preview book. Okay, um, good time to subscribe, really, because uh, it's a useful book. It's a good book. Twenty-three um, percent saving on the cover price if you uh, subscribe right now, and a book as well. How about that? Anyway, on with the show. Dario, welcome, and uh, thank you very much for joining us, and congratulations on uh, the Hall of Fame. Thank you. Uh, did you have a good night? Yeah, I had a great night actually. It was uh, it was fun to catch up with a lot of old friends. Um, and then the uh, the ceremony itself that was that was very special. Uh, it kind of dawned on me. I saw I saw Sir Jack Brabham getting inducted. Then it's Frank Williams, Jody Schechter, and then me. And then on the trophy, it's got all the names of the people who are who are in the Hall of Fame. And um, I just I, I it's the difficult one because I look and there's so many of the the, the greats of the sport there. And then there's there's kind of well me I guess and I, I, it's, it's an absolute honour I'm interested that you kind of view it like that because um, it goes without saying I mean you've been fantastically successful I mean you really have you know you've, you've won an awful lot of stuff in quite a short time really and yet it's all been in America do, I, I've, I've often wondered do you have a, any regrets about that I mean in the sense that you know might it have been Formula One for you or not, really? Well, in some ways you could look at it and say, oh, I you know, could have done this, I could have done that differently and had a chance at Formula at Formula One. Um, or on the other hand, I could have been like some of my, my friends who are equally as fast in the car as, as as I ever was and they didn't get the chance to go to the, to, to the level that, that I've been able to. So... Um, no, I don't. I don't look at it that way. Formula One for me was always about if I got there, I wanted to be in competitive stuff, um, and I wanted to have a chance at winning. It wasn't just a case of showing up and, and becoming a Formula One driver. And any of the op- op- opportunities I was given, um, didn't I, I didn't ever think it was going to be in race winning equipment. Um, apart from probably the, when I had the opportunity to become a, a test driver at McLaren, 
1997. That was apart from that, the rest of it was was not good stuff. Also, uh, there's something about racing, working, living in America, that possibly is good for a person like you who appears to me to be a damn sight more normal than a lot of successful <laughs> racing drivers. I think the F1 guys are, are, are a product of their environment. I mean, Nigel could definitely speak more about that than I can, but I think they're, the ones I know, they, they definitely are a product of, of what they're put through and, and the scrutiny they're under, maybe. Um, you know, IndyCar is, is a more relaxed um, environment, probably somewhat like sports cars as well. Um, and that that's definitely suits me better. Um, but I guess that the, the way I looked at it, and somebody asked me this question yesterday, I wouldn't give up either of my Indy 500 wins or the championships um, to to have had a, a, a sort of a stab at Formula One. Yeah, I'm intrigued by Dario the fact that you know you were consistently a, a race winner from '99 onwards in either, whether it be in Champ Car or, or IRL. But the titles and the 500s have come rec relatively recently. Well, did you feel there was a time when it was never going to happen for you that the titles weren't going to come? And the I did, I did. '99 was definitely, as far as performance was, was kind of the high water mark for a while there. Um, and there was there was sort of ups and downs, um, some through injury, some through just us not getting the, the equipment right um, and yeah there's a point sort of 0405 my teammates Tony Canaan was winning the championship Dan was winning the 500 in the championship um, certainly in, in, in 2005 I was as quick if not quicker everywhere than than Dan but which is horrendous luck and finally that all turned around in 2007 it was sort of and and since then anytime I've been in an indie car it's gone uh, it's gone fairly well. Yeah, well, it's just been an incredible ro um, role, isn't it? Really, it's just um, you know the first title and what well, doing back to back Indian and the title the first year. You did, it, did it again last year. It's just been uh, uh, incredible. Yeah, it's gone. It's gone well. Um, you know, and it, it, to do it with with Andretti Green was was very satisfying because I'd been there so long and we'd been through a lot together. And um, that that being the first one. That was quite something, and then I made that fateful decision to go to NASCAR. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you about that. When you when you did that, I mean, did you sort of at the time feel you were okay? That's IndyCar racing. That's done. Yeah, yeah. I probably did. Um, because I, I remember you telling me more or less as soon as you'd done it when you got back in an IndyCar after that year <laughs> in uh, in NASCAR, you just couldn't believe how good it felt. Looking back on that, what was was it never ever going to you and NASCAR was just not a a match that was going to work. I think given time it would have worked because it was starting to it was starting to to click actually right about the time that the, the chip had to close the doors on the on the cup side and then we went onwards to in the nationwide side and um, you know in the nationwide I think my last two races I qualified on the pole and I had a great race with Jimmy Johnson at Watkins Glen but then to go to go to Bristol and lead. I think it was like 1900 laps mm. in the nationwide car that it was starting to click but mm. the biggest problem I had I didn't first of all understand what it was going to take to drive one of those cars mm. and my style which is to kind of try and keep things very neat didn't just didn't work in the car and I had to adapt and combine that with a point a very big low point for the team um, as far as comp the, the equipment side and it was it was hard work so I was glad to get back in the Indy car well and you hurt yourself yeah I broke my ankle yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that that actually in some ways that helped because it took me back a step back and allowed me to just go to the races and watch and start to learn and understand this uh, type of racing. So when I jumped back in the car, I was I think was better equipped to deal with it. Mm -hmm. Dario, um, 
can we talk a little bit about the year coming up? Because um, there's a lot of news, isn't there, in IndyCar at the moment? I mean, Chevrolet coming coming back, Lotus coming in. Uh, things it seems to be on 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 the up generally. I mean, Bobby Rahal said that you know at last he thinks IndyCar really is has recovered and is beginning to attract more sponsorship. Do you feel it's it's a good time? I do, I do, and after years of being involved in it and watching it decline, um, it's great to to finally be involved in this positive news. It's, it's, it, things seem to be getting better and and bigger, and um, it, it, it it's yeah, it's a really nice change. You know, from two thousand and eight when the series came together. Um, which unfortunately just coincided with me leaving for NASCAR, so my timing wasn't too good on that one. But watching that happen, and then um, you know the, the new guys in charge with Randy Bernard is, is is definitely a plus. We're seeing the manufacturers come back in 2012. Um, you know, 2011 is going to be. I think it's going to be a very competitive and interesting year. But we, we've got to try and keep the focus on this because a lot of people are already sort of looking off. Wistfully to 2012 um, because of all the new, the good news with the manufacturers and the cars are going to look different. It's going to be different, you know, body kits essentially the same tub but different body kits. So um, yeah, it's 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 a good time to be in IndyCar racing. But this year, I think the big news is going to be this side by side restart business, which <laughs> they tell us the fans want, but the drivers are kind of wondering how it's how it's going to work, and the team owners wanted it too, so they can uh, they're going to have to pay the bills when the cars are <laughs> destroyed. Yeah. Maybe you could just explain how that's going to work, actually. I'd love to. If I want <laughs> to once I figure it out, I'll let you know. Um, essentially, it's going to. The way they're going to work the pit stops when that when a yellow comes out, you're going to have all the, the lead lap cars at the front, um, with the, the 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 leader of the race able to choose which side he starts on. Um, and the second place guy is then going to go on the outside, but then from then on, third place, fifth place, seventh place are all going to be on the inside, um, very much like NASCAR does mm, it. Yeah. The they're going to move the start points down closer to the start finish because what we tend to do is in turn three at Indy, for instance, is take off. And it makes us for a spread out restart, and they don't they don't want that anymore. So um, it's also going to have the advantage of slowing the pace a little bit and giving us more room for manoeuvre when we come into turn one. So they're actually talking about doing it on the road courses too, which Jesus, <laughs> it's going to be fun. <laughs> but it sounds to me like um, there's potential here for somebody towards the middle or the back. Not while they're trying to work all this out, they're going to drive into somebody else. <laughs> Oh, there's always that potential, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it did seem to me for quite a while, Dario, that it was IndyCar racing was just in a state of, you know, atrophy. Um, and I, I, you know, I mean, everybody seems to speak very well of Randy Bernard. I'm, I've never met him yet, but um, people say, no, no, he is, he is definitely a plus. Um, the other thing people said, of course, is that, you know, Tony George not being there as well anymore. That that's had an effect too. Is it, would you, what would you do? You want to say anything about that or not? Well, it's definitely become fashionable to throw Tony under the bus, um, <laughs> you know. And I think even even when he was doing the job, the fans, he was he was a very polarizing figure. Um, you know, I it, I think he was doing his best. I just don't think he was equipped to do the job. No. Um, and they've now got. I mean, Randy is a, is a marketing guy. He knows nothing about racing. He's learning. He goes mm. to Donald Davidson's uh, classes at night does, yeah. to to, yeah. to learn about the history of the sport. And, yeah. and he'll phone you. He'll phone you. Say, hey, what do you think of this? Or what do you think of that? And um, 
just and he takes people's opinions yeah. and and he'll make a decision and he, when he doesn't know something he'll say I don't know that what what what, what do you think um, yeah. I, I do think he's a plus um, if there is a slight downside you gotta we just gotta be careful that we don't we keep the integrity of the sport mm-hmm. as a sport I mean there is a certain show element and even F1 now with these wings and stuff there's there mm. people people are worried about the show the show the show yeah. and especially yeah. in in the US i think with the shorter attention spans and sport is set up differently mm-hmm. but we've got to keep the integrity of the sport as well you know one of the things with this double foul restart we said well if if if, if i'm leading the indy and i've you know worked really hard to to put six lapped cars between me and second place a yellow comes out mm. the next thing this guy's sitting next to me it's again gone, yeah, yeah. Okay, the yellow already negates your advantage, but come on. Yeah. But that it, it's. But of course, the argument always is on these occasions. I remember saying that long, long ago, talking to Mario about the whole question of yellows, and we didn't even have them in Formula One. And and I said, you know, you've, so you've got to you build a big lead, and then next it's gone. And he just said, yeah, yeah, but you know, it evens out. Yeah, sometimes it, it works for you, sometimes it works against you. So it does. That's very true. <coughs> One thing I you know, noticed about the, the the yellow flag culture in the states, you know, a couple of weeks ago we were over at the Rolex Twenty Four, and you know you were in the mix of it all. <laughs> and the the thing about it is, it does keep it tight. I mean, the, those you know the lead cars were never a few you know more than a, a few seconds apart, and uh, <coughs> the Ganassi cars had troubles and yet could still come back and and win the, win the race and finish one too. So. In terms of the entertainment point of view, it does work, doesn't it? Oh, it, it does, absolutely. And it's if you know what you're doing with the strategy, if you are two, three, four laps down, you can get it back. Um, so it, you, you realise when you go into something like the Rolex 24, you're not going to run away, you're not going to put three laps on the field unless there's exceptional circumstances. Um, so you just you plan accordingly, you drive accordingly. Um, although I don't know if Monty got that memo, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It says it's great, it's fantastic for the guys sitting in the stands, but not so great for the driver who's built his lead up. I think that sort of, sort of sums it up, doesn't it? Um, g- yeah. Can I ask you, uh, Ganassi, t- the team, is on a, on a bit of a roll, isn't it? I mean, it seems to be win everything it, it, goes, it goes for at the moment. So one would imagine that Penske's going to come back big time. <laughs> yeah, the, you always got to expect Roger and his boys to come back fighting. Um, we did the, there was a, an award dinner in Detroit recently where they, they gave me the baby Borg trophy and, and Jackie Stewart had a dinner the next night and just as I was going to go and have a cup of tea with Jackie they delivered the, the baby Borg to my hotel room so I thought I'll take this and show Jackie so I trampled it down to his room and he's, he, you know, I had a look at it and he was telling me the story of when he was leading by two laps with eight laps to go and the, the engine pitched anyway he said come on we'll take this to dinner it'll be fun we'll put it on the table lab. I said no we're not he said well, why not I said because Penske's going to be there, and I, d- I really don't want to piss him off because he pissed him off. <laughs> you don't poke a tiger with a stick, do you? And Jackie's like, "Yeah, it's okay, point taken." <laughs> but the target team has been on that role for years in IndyCar and sports cars, especially IndyCar. And when I came over to the states, they were the team to beat, and with a couple of exceptions, they have been the team to beat ever since. Mm-hmm. And now, being a part of it, I understand why. Um, attention to detail. Mm. They get they do they do it better than everybody else. They 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 just focus and they about the details. And is is having the is having the the B team as it were with with Ray Hull and um, Charlie Kimball. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Um, is that going to be a distraction or not? 
I hope not. Chip told me when it, f and I'm sure he's told Target too. When it, uh, when this team was formed, it was not going to be a distraction. It's a completely separate thing, and it, it's for us, it's a separate team, separate building, um, completely separate. But I don't. Right now, I'm struggling to see how it benefits us. I think it benefits the the two drivers in that team because they get a lot of the information from our team. They get a lot of the the, the things we've we've worked very hard on to develop. So I'm kind of struggling to to see where we're going to benefit from that one. Yeah. yeah, I guess it benefits the series having Graham, an American, in a good car and a good team. So the wider view is good, but. Um, You've got to think about yourself, haven't you? So. I was going to say, yeah, I mean, Graham, Graham's a really, really good kid, but <laughs> I'm more interested in me winning than him, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you're going to get <coughs> a big kickback from Penske this year, surely. They're going to be out for revenge big time, because it's been a few while since they've won a title now. Yeah, it, it, it has. Um, and they are going to be tough. Will was very tough last year, um, particularly on the road courses, so I expect them to be tough. Um, and the Indy, Roger... You know, Roger's going to want that that centennial um, victory. He wants them all, and and Indy's very important to him. But um, yeah, he's. Although I did make a comment to him that night about the trophy being upstairs, and and I think Tim Sindrick said something about yeah, yeah. I think we got fifteen of them back at the shop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. Good but answer. But Dario, you know, I mean, I mean, racing in in I mean, IndyCar racing has polarised so much around Ganassi and Penske, hasn't it? Um, all right, I know there's an Andretti sort of around. But, it, I mean, it fundamentally, as you say, a guy of, of Penske's mentality, I mean, it's, it's not good to... I mean, he's, he's had a lean time, relatively in his terms, a lean time for a, a long time. And I've, I've always thought Chip is such an easy guy to underestimate. Yeah, Rogers. Uh, Roger has that aura about him, and and rightly yeah. so. He's yeah. been so successful in all types of business for all these years, and you know, ultimately, Chips uh, is just a team owner, mm. and I, I don't mean that in any disrespectful way, but that's his business, mm. um, and he just gets goes on and quietly goes about it, and uh, as quietly as Chip can, <laughs> but quietly goes about it and and does his job and and puts the right people in the right positions and mm. yeah, don't underestimate Chip Ganassi because yeah. when it's going and don't underestimate anybody that works for him, um, yeah. they are they're a fairly intense bunch. Mm. There's not that. I mean, in Andretti Green, it was very much like a family, mm. Mm -hmm. and it's not. I don't and not in a bad way, but it's just not. There's not that way there. It's it's. It's just win. They're 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 very very hungry, and uh, you got to keep your end of the bargain up. That that's what I mean about him being easy to underestimate, because you know on the face of it, he's I mean, he's a, he's always he's you know he's a friendly guy, and he's sort of seems to have plenty of time for everything, and you know he likes a, <coughs> you know, he has a good sense of humour and so on. But you know, underneath all that, I mean, he is an operator, isn't he? Oh yeah, you don't get in Chip's position no. by by being easy going, and I've seen the other side of Chip too. Um, yeah. yeah. And yeah, he 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 wants results. Mm, mm. You 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 could also say, of course, couldn't you, that you don't get to be where you are either by being just Mr. Nice Guy. <laughs> yeah, I'm fairly easy going out of the car, and and anything to do with anything out with racing, I'm fairly easy going to a point. But with with my job, I'm really focused on it, um, and I'll do what it what it takes as far as you know, kicking people up the arse, whatever it takes. I'll, um, and as I've got older and maybe more confident and, and know what I want, I push even harder for it. Um, hmm. 
and you've got to do it. It's part of your job. And it's good having Scott Dixon in the team as well because Scott and I work exactly the same way and um, we complement each other very well and we push the whole thing on when it mm. needs pushing on and sometimes we're the ones getting pushed on and told to, mm. to pick it up. Um, I mean, that it, it's great. I mean, he's, a, he's a very, very competitive, quick teammate, isn't he? Which Oh, yeah. <laughs> he really is. Um, he's unbelievably competitive as far as just in his attitude. He hates... We all hate getting beaten, but Dixie takes it really personally. Well, like you were saying about Daytona the other oh, week. Oh, yeah. He yeah. just... Yeah, and and he, I've learned a lot from him, actually, and the way he does things. Like, he is... I'm a detail guy. I'm, everything is about you know, make it, sitting in the debriefs for hours on end and just trying to figure out the problem. I think the engineers and Dixie was very much like, yeah, car's a little overstayed, but, you know, sort it out. <laughs> now he's come a long way to being closer to my kind of way of doing things, and I've definitely gone a little bit more towards his and kind of relaxed a little bit. And that comes to for driving styles too. Scott's, you know, captain oversteer. He loves to, to pitch it sideways. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've on the ovals, I've learned a bit from him and how you can, what you can get away with and the downside of that is he's learned all my tricks on the street courses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's 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 incredibly interesting to me because um, you know normally racing drivers don't tell you that much about how they work with their teammates. It's, they normally pretend to hate the guy or, or or else they worse still they pretend to love him <laughs> which is even worse. Um, but it, it, we had a, uh, we've got a reader's question. Uh, it's a good time to ask it, which is he 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 points out that in recent times, IndyCar racing, using the IndyCar as a general term, um, the cars are much much neater. They they appear to be much less ragged under all circumstances. You know, would you are they easier to drive or not? No, I don't think they're easier to drive because you're getting them. You're finding the limit in different areas. You know, I was very lucky to get to drive those those champ cars back in the late nineties and you know two thousand two thousand and one with like a thousand horsepower. Um, you know, and they had sticky, really sticky tires, a ton of downforce, and those things were absolute beasts to drive. And and but you you got to the limit of it. Um, and if you try to do in those cars what you do in the modern day Indy car and drive them as oversteer as you do with the modern day Indy car, you'd have been in the fence on the first corner. Yeah. You just take yeah. it to the limit. These things, the modern Indy car is a lot less horsepower um, than uh, than you know ten years ago, and so to make up for that, you drive this thing, uh, you know, very very oversteering to keep the speed up, and yeah. you can just get away with that because it doesn't. It's not going to spin the tires in six gear um, unless you get it really really badly wrong. But it's the, the old champ cars would do that. You'd come off some of the corners, and this thing would light the rear tires up at you know two hundred miles an hour. This this thing's not going to do that. Um, on the road courses, it's a different thing again because it's, it's it doesn't have as much downforce. It's got less, you know, it's got higher CG, uh, and you got on the p power, and it doesn't kick you in the back quite like the old one did. Um, but again, you just make up for it by driving it a different way and trying to. Dario, anybody I've ever spoken to who was who was driving um, champ cars at, during that period, I mean, it's like Gerhard Berger talking about driving a, a you know a, a turbo BMW. F1 car, you know, nothing else is ever going to be the same after that. Is that the case? I mean, it always, what always strikes me is, um, I mean, the cars now can comfortably handle Texas, but the one time when you went there with the uh, with the Champ cars, 
and that was, you know, the race had to be called off. Just, just give people an idea of what that weekend was like, just because it illustrates what those cars were capable of. Yeah, sometimes when Kanan and I will start telling stories, which we don't, we don't do too much, but we'll, we'll get on them, and the younger drivers, you'll see them rolling their eyes when we start talking about, <laughs> oh, those cars, oh, they were, the old, the old days. Yeah, those things were amazing. And they really, yeah, we, we did, we, 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 I don't think we'll ever drive cars like that again, I don't think they'd be allowed, yeah. because um, they just were so fast. Um, but that, that weekend that particularly weekend, was... Yeah, well, that was a crazy time, and I think the, the culmination of that was Deferens lap mm. at Fontana when Honda came to me and assured me all the engines are the same, <laughs> all the engines are the same. And I was like, it's impossible, the engine's the same. But Gilles got you know, more wing, blah, blah, blah. And he's just gone five miles an hour quicker. And Deferens eventually tells you, years later, he's pulled out of the pits and started pulling gears. And the warm-up lap, I got to six and buzzed it off the limiter, and he just started Jesus. laughing in the car. <laughs> 250 miles an hour at the end of the straight. <laughs> Yeah, come on. So those were quick. 250 on the straight is not the interesting part. It's when you have to turn left flat <laughs> out. That's the interesting part. But Texas, uh, yeah, we tested there. And we tested there in the winter. And it wasn't really a problem. And it turned out we thought we were doing 229 averages. But what we'd done is we'd calculated the track distance wrong. And we were actually doing 234 averages. Around a mile and a half over, which was madness. Anyway, we, with, with the draft and stuff like that, and trimming the cars out for qualifying, I think we got up to 237s, 239s. Mm. Um, and what was happening with the vertical and the lateral G, we were starting to get in the first stages of blacking out. Um, I think it was about was it four vertical and about four or five lateral. And it, it manifested itself, I guess, with my vision was starting to get narrower. Yeah. And when I was coming in the pits, I kept driving past my pit box. Um, and it just, I felt, I remember the feeling, it was, it was bloody terrified. I had no control of what was going on. It was like sitting in a scale electric car at 250 miles an hour or whatever the hell they were doing at the end of the straight and just hanging on. And oh. Goodwillman crashed in practice at turn and two. And it just went on and on, didn't it? Yeah, he hit in turn two with a... 100 G's or something. He hit again in turn three with 50 G's, and the wreck ended up at the start finish line. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it was madness. So we went to Dr. Obi, <coughs> and uh, he's one or two went and said, Hey, you know, we're having a problem here. So Doc Obi said to everybody else, brought us all in the room, said, Right, hands up, who's, who's, you know, who's, who's experiencing these problems? And one or two went up, and then four or five went up, <laughs> and the next thing there was everybody apart from two were saying, I think one of them was Paul Tracy. Yeah. They were like, eh, I don't feel a thing. <laughs> and so Steve Ovey called his, his mate at NASA, I believe the story goes, he called his mate at NASA and said, right, I'm going to email you some graphs here and this is what the we're putting the drivers through. You guys have had experience with these heavy G loads. Can you tell talk, tell me about it? And he so this stuff goes through. The guy calls him back and says, "Wow, said, we've never seen anything like this. We have never. This is out with anything we've seen. How many seconds are you exposing these guys to these kind of G for, Gs for?" So, oh, the race is probably going to be about two and a half hours long. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, "Oh, you're going to kill someone." So just. You know, stop, stop, yeah. and we stopped, and it was terribly handled because the fans were ready in the stands and mm -hmm. stuff. And yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm really glad we didn't race that mm. day because that would have sucked. Mm. But but in the, in the current car, it's 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 fine. Texas, it's fine. 
So I mean, what I'm saying, I mean, nothing illustrates. Sorry, nothing illustrates the difference between the car of then and the car of now. You know, better than that, really. I remember driving round there at two fourteen about two years ago, in practice, and then thinking, my God, I ran round here twenty miles an hour quicker than this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah, a different yeah. game now. Yeah, yeah. And I don't like Texas. I don't think it's a track we should be on. Just, no, just going no. back to the, the first time you you drove an Indy car. Um, you come from a road course background. Can you tell us what it's like when you first head out into Noble and you're going into a turn and you don't you don't brake? I remember the first time watching a <coughs> an Indy car in Noble for me. It was just trying to get my mind around the fact that this car wasn't slowing down going into a corner. <laughs> What's well, it like? I, I'd come from the DTM and I'd driven the, it was a champ car at the time, I'd driven it at Homestead on the, the road course. And the biggest problem I had was holding the bloody thing in a straight line. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Because whenever I took my hand off the steering wheel to shift gear, I couldn't, I, I couldn't hold it straight because the steering is so heavy in these things. And I'd come from power steering and DTM. So I went back to the, the drawing board on my back home to the UK, came back from my first oval test, which was at Homestead, and it was the old four-corner mm. mini-indie Homestead. Mm. And uh, I was trying to right-foot brake, because you had to, at those days you had to brake with, with, uh, on, on that track because it was, the corners were so tight. And it was, it was very, very difficult at first. And I, was, I was doing the right-foot brake, and Rick Mears came up and said, no, 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 this is how you do it. Which was great. I mean, I'm thinking Rick Mears is helping out. How cool is this? <laughs> and yeah, I, f- I figured it out. I qualified, I think, 10th, 9th or 10th that day. Um, promptly stuck it in the fence trying to get out of the way when I was getting lapped. I'd never been lapped in a race before. <laughs> <laughs> but it, um, yeah, it was, a, it was an interesting, very interesting experience that, that, that first time. I remember watching practice. I stood on the pit wall. It comes back to Deferne a lot. Have you noticed that? Deferne's in a lot of these stories. <laughs> so Gilles, Gilles out there, and he takes off, and you know, off he goes, comes back round, off he goes again. It's not that quick. What's all the fuss about? Well, it turns out he was running in his brakes. <laughs> and the first time he went past <laughs> at full speed, I about went home and went back to the airport and <laughs> headed off. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it took me a long time to get comfortable on the ovals. Mm. Just, I'm just fascinated to know what Mia's actually because people there are people always say that there's a real indie historian say the two best ever on ovals were Panelli and, and Mears he was talking about very much like Jackie talks about in the road course the way you break the way you you know, 
upset the car or not upset the car, the way you transfer the weight, um, you know, why you should left foot brake rather than like right foot brake, mm. what the car should feel like balance wise, so just all that knowledge he'd accumulated, he was quite happy to sit there. And he was quite happy to volunteer. He'd volunteer. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was brilliant. You know, Carl Hogan knew him very well. And yeah. so we went Carl went to him and said, Hey I've got this this kid here. Mm. Can you help him out? Over mm. he came. Over he limped actually the poor guy. Yeah. And no problem. Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> I, I th I th what interested me greatly was y you watching Deferrin uh, and thinking, I'm going back to the airport. Uh, which I, it's a bit like you know a Red Arrows pilot. If he saw it from the ground, he might think, "Geez, do I do that?" And uh, that to me, that's a great insight because I think we all, well, a lot of us imagine, you know, that you're very brave and nothing bothers you, and you know, I mean, but when you when you saw that, you really did think, "Wow." I it was less polite than that, actually. But yeah, <laughs> a similar <laughs> sentiment. Yeah, it, it's. I won't if I can help it. Will not go on the outside of a, a corner or an oval and watch the car going round. I just find it quite I find it a lot more comfortable in the car, put it that way. Mm. And I'm quite happy in the car doing doing whatever whatever is needed. Mm. Um but yeah, watching on the outside when you see especially Indy exit at turn one or something, it'll just mm. take your breath away. It's yeah, I mean it's 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 staggering, isn't it? Because as a fan, you know, I want to see stuff that makes me go Mm -hmm. And t frankly, I don't see that in Formula One these days. Maybe it's because I'm not allowed to get close enough. But you know, it's w it's why it's in a way it's why we all f fell in love in different ways. I mean, you're okay. You're a driver. That's a different thing. But you know, it is that, isn't it? Just that. I think you will see it in F1 this year. Nigel and I were talking last night about the the the, the test at Jerez. I was at that with my with, with Paul mm -hmm. Deresta the other day, and watching these guys coming off the last corner as the tires are just ruining themselves, <laughs> and watching these. Great power slides! Oh man, this is cool. Yeah, it's um, it's, it's I think it's going to be fun. But <coughs> TV, excuse me, TV does not do any type of racing justice. I would say no, the ones that have got it closest are the the guys in Australia with the V8 supercars to show the speed, to show the the, the slides. You know, whether it's NASCAR, IndyCar, F1, you don't see the the cars sliding. You know, people say to us, "Oh, the cars are stuck." When you watch IndyCar races, yeah. the cars are stuck. You're thinking, really? Mm. <laughs> okay. So th when I was returning into turn one at Indy for 200 laps, the 500 last year, and the thing is just in a four-wheel slide the whole <laughs> way through the corner, it's stuck, is it? You know, it, it just doesn't translate to TV. Mm. It doesn't. You're dead right. I mean, if you stand at Cops Corner at Silverstone for for with Formula One, yeah. you simply cannot believe that a car or a man or both could go through a corner like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. We should we should ask you about Paul because um, obviously <coughs> about to make his Grand Prix debut with, with Force India, he's your cousin and it's a great story. You told me a nice story about you were there the day he found out he got the drive. Yeah, that was brilliant. Um, you know, Paul and I are, Paul's dad and my dad are second cousins, so we're quite distantly related, but we're, we're Marino, him and I and, and his brother Stefan, we're like brothers. We've, we, you know, we, I was going to say we grew up together, but we didn't. I was already, you know, when Paul was, was growing up, I kind of looked after him. And his dad, my dad kind of got him into racing. When I went to go go-kart racing, his dad helped my dad kind of get it all together. And he actually bought me a, a go-kart engine at one point and then brought my first race car for me, my, my Vauxhall Junior. Um, 
was kind of all hands on deck trying to pay for that first season and Louis was good enough to uh, to buy me that first car so when Paul started racing cars I was able to, to help him sponsor him um, you know use my the knowledge I'd gained and kind of help him with contracts and then it kind of went from sponsoring a bit in cars to paying for a season of Formula 3 when his dad uh, just couldn't do it so it got quite serious in the end but um, we were sitting in the house and in day before Christmas actually in the living room at, at, at Louis's house as we'd done many many times before and just were talking about you know whatever we talked about and Paul just came downstairs with a strange look on his face and said uh, I got the job. <laughs> I was like, what, what, are you, what are you talking about? He said, I've got, I've got the drive. And of course, pandemonium ensues. And, and I said, hang on, jaded racing driver here. Hang on, hang on. You've got the signed document. Well, in the old days, you'd have got the paper document and gone, oh, yeah, there's a signature. Well, he got his iPad and he just showed me the last page with everybody's signature. I said, ah, oh, perfect. Okay, <laughs> job done. So yeah. it's great. It's, it's, it's a, you know, a lot of hard work by, by him. Um, and it certainly is his dad as well to get him there. Um, and it's going to be, I hope he gets to show what he's, what he's got. I hope the car allows him to show his gift because he's very, very talented. I'm mm. excited about it. Yeah. And like you, he's come through DTM as well. Um, I, I wouldn't mind you talking a little bit about those DTM cars we were talking about just before we came on air about those, the gizmo cars of the mid-90s. Yeah, that he that was again part of the deal I was able to help him with because of my relationship with with Mercedes and with Gerhard Ungar and um, they they saw him and and wanted to, to to put him in a Formula Three car and we were able to work out a deal but he didn't have the money to do GP two I didn't have the money to help him do GP two um, and so DTM was that option and he learned so much in that series uh, it's a great it's totally underestimated as a, as a proven ground for drivers. It's a great place. It's not one make. You get to work on the, you know, developing cars and stuff. Mm. And in a lot of ways, I think much better than GP2 for developing drivers. Mm. Um, mm. But I was, I was definitely lucky enough to, <coughs> to get to, to drive, you know, along with those late 90s champ cars. The DTM cars were definitely the most advanced cars, I think, on the planet. They were, mm. they were insane. From movable aerodynamics, um, programmable roll bars which worked on distance so you could change the roll bar three or four times throughout a corner just depending on <laughs> what the car was doing, entry, mid, exit, phase of the corners. Um, we ended up with a movable ballast, <laughs> movable centre of gravity on, on a hydraulic mean? ram. It's not a big hydraulic ram and it would, at first the only thing it did when you accelerated out the pit lane, the whatever it was, I would think it would be about 150 pounds, maybe more, of tungsten. Would you accelerate out of the pit lane, it would break loose and fly out the back of the car. <laughs> that was those early tests weren't were, were great. Um, but that, that was one of the things, fully automatic gearboxes, if you so wished. Um, it, it was... It was, um, it was an amazing time. We ran a full ground effect car mm. with, with uh, flexible skirts that kind of came out from about halfway down the door. We had these huge skirts would come out. <laughs> and I, I was the, the guinea pig for that one. Unfortunately, I had, a, I had to have a motor to drive a hydraulic pump, an mm. extra hydraulic pump, because these things had more hydraulics than the Concorde. And <laughs> it dragged the engine down too much on the straight. But this thing had the old, uh, you know, it, it would hydraulically raise the car to beat the right height roll. But it had some grip, I'll tell you. <laughs> it, it, th th those were, 
those were fun and I'm looking forward to uh, to driving I might, I've, I'm going to get a chance I think to drive one of the old cars mm. uh, which is over in America now so I'm looking forward to, oh, right. to that mm. Can I just come back very briefly to um, Paul de Resta because right at the beginning of this you were saying to me uh, you know Formula 1 yes but not <laughs> only if it was I think what you really meant was that with a great team yes you, it would have been good um, you know he has gone to a team that is at best middle of the grid is is that a good decision for him one more thing about dtm car <laughs> <laughs> they also had abs traction control <laughs> um water cooled brakes you name it anyway but stereo <laughs> it, um had an airbag steering wheel it did it was the first racing car with an airbag steering wheel bloody thing never worked I can assure you I hit, I hit something hard enough to put it off and they said no no it wasn't programmed <laughs> anyway <coughs> Paul um, Paul and I I think on that have different attitudes um, Paul is prepared and has been prepared the whole time to just risk everything to get, get into in. Formula 1 mm -hmm. to then show what he can do um, to to then hopefully you know, either develop very well with, with Force India and, and, and move that team up the grid and then and, and one day get in a McLaren or Ferrari or whatever. That is the way, I guess, the way he's thinking. I was never prepared to, to gamble everything. I I didn't want to lose what I had in America to to yeah. to go to and take that gamble of running around at the back. And that, that's where we differ. And I'm... I'm, I'm yeah, I'm very proud of the fact that he just he said, "Sorry, I'm 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 all in here. I'm 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 going. I'm I want to do Formula One, and I want to, and I'll do whatever it takes." Yeah, I just wanted to hear your view on that because you know uh, we, uh, we've all heard how talented this guy is. Um, so you know, I think perhaps we're all just hoping he can show it in 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 a car like that. Yeah, I I, I know what you mean, Rob. But I, the only point JYS made the point to me not long ago. You know that both Alonso and Weber started with Minardi. So, yeah. you know, yeah. his theory is, if you're good enough, you know, enough people will be able to see enough of that. So, right or wrong. I want to ask one thing quickly. We've got so much to talk to you about, Dario, but um, the Lotus 38, we've got to talk about that because, you know, we all know how much uh, Jim Clark means to you. Last year, we featured the car on our cover of the magazine. Later in the year, you got to actually drive the thing around Indy. Uh, just tell us about that. Yeah, I remember when I when the motorsport showed up on the. I was going to say on the map, but in America it's in the mailbox, isn't it? It showed up in the mailbox, and um, I kind of went in the house and proudly showed my missus the the, the 38 on the cover. But she obviously knew what the 38 looked like because I've got a hundred pictures of it in my office. <laughs> but I just wanted to make sure she knew that that was the car I was going to drive. <laughs> and, uh, I get asked a lot about driving the car, and I really struggle to put it into words. Mm -hmm. It was, I think, because you're used to going in a car and dr trying to drive it to the limit, and all those things, and that's the way you you judge what it's all about. Where this thing was nothing like that. It was just, I was aware that this car had been, not even restored. It was conserved. So al almost all original parts, whether it was in the engine or on the suspension. You know the work the guys at Team Lotus did. Mm -hmm. Or Walter Goodwin and his guys in India on the motor. Mm. So I'm driving around in this thing. Half of me's thinking, oh, I want to give this a, a real go, see what it's about. But I guess the bigger part's just saying, look, just enjoy, enjoy the noise of that four cam. Mm. Just sit here and you know look around you. 
you, you, I'm sitting in the seat that that, that that Jimmy got to sit in at Indianapolis and just try and savour the moment. Racing is a lot, as Jackie calls it, mind management. It's all about trying to take the emotion out of what you're doing and not let those external things in. Whereas this was all about, oh, I wish I could remember every moment of this forever. And mm. uh, you know, just that, that first time opening up the... The, the the throttle down the front straight even to half throttle and this thing took off and coming back in the pits and seeing everybody's reaction as well was <laughs> w w it was it was amazing you got <coughs> I, I just wondered Dario if you'd simply got in a mid 60s indie car with no Clark connection perhaps you might have been more inclined to just sort of you you would have been less emotional about it obviously and I, you know you might have been more inclined to Sort of oh, I'd have given it something. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's I've yeah, that that ended up. I did that at Goodwood with the, the old E-type four WPD, oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah, ended up yeah. in a hospital room next to Adrian Newey with with yeah. concussion. But yeah. I still maintain something happened that day. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I would definitely given it some. That yeah. was, but yeah. because of that car, you know, it's less than a thousand miles in its whole life. That's amazing, isn't it? That was that was yeah. the thing that really. Jimmy, myself, or Jimmy first of all, um, I think one of the guys at Classic Team Lotus did it a shakedown, Lord March, Jackie and myself were the only ones I think that have, have sat in it. Um, maybe one of the guys at Indy when, when Jimmy was running to practice it, mm. when he was bouncing back and forwards to Monaco. But And that engine does make a wonderful noise, oh doesn't it? God, Glorious what a noise. noise. Yeah. What just, yeah, yeah that, was, that was really... Really cool, but you just can't. In a modern car, you sit and you use your whole upper body, and it's in your elbows, it, you know, your whole upper torso to try and to just get the thing into the corner. Certainly, an indie car. Mm. This thing, the way you sit in it, you cannot use more than your wrists no. because of the fuel tanks. Yeah. Um, and had all those little valves for moving the fuel around, and <laughs> the two speed <laughs> gearbox. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, just just a great, great experience. We must uh, take some questions from readers, uh, because otherwise it's pointless asking them to send them in. Um, uh, uh, Dario, uh, and this one comes from Colin MacArthur, and, and um, he, he'd like to know what you think about the best way of getting American race fans to come back to IndyCar and the numbers they, they used to come. He's, he's, he's from America. He's from Tennessee, I think, actually. Ah, good man. Yeah. Just down the road. Right, Na yeah. Neighbour of mine. <coughs> um, my thinking, for, I think you've got to get it in front of them first. So in, the IndyCar series needs to work very diligently on their TV package. Hmm. I think they're doing that. And I think with, with, um, with Versus and Comcast being taken over by NBC, I think that's going to be a big... Mm a big help but these as, as Randy Bernard's fond of saying these fans haven't disappeared We're, they're still out there we just need to bring them back and hopefully if we can make this new generation of cars you know exciting and um, catch their imagination again and catch the new generation the, the, the kids you know that when I was seven years old I was obsessed with Formula One I loved watching we need to get that attention back get the kids attention back on the sport as well um, and if we can do that, we'll, uh, I think we'll be in good shape. 
Um, this, this comes, we're, we're rushing a bit here because uh, our time is nearly up, but this comes from Jeff Rogers and it's about social media. Oh no, not this, no, not this again. No, I'm sorry Jeff. I'm not, um, but he, he'd like to know, Daria, whether, and presumably this is based on your, uh, your ability to talk to people actually, whether you think that uh, you know, things like Twitter and Facebook could be used more by racing drivers, racing teams and sponsors to, to be in touch with their fans. I see, I see both sides of the, that, that sort of Twitter revolution, I guess. Um, there's a part of me thinks, yeah. nobody is really that interested in what I'm having for lunch. You know, some of them take it to extremes. Um, but then there's, I find myself now sort of checking in on, on my, my friend's Twitter thing to see what they're doing. So uh, I might... I'm, I'm, I might get involved at some point. I might do it. But I do think it's a... I thought it was very interesting at the, the, the F1 test at Hereth. The guys were from Force India were and, and all the other teams were tweeting what's happening. Oh, we're doing this, we're doing that. And it gives an insider's look maybe that that you wouldn't normally have. And it is a there is a good way to to kind of to keep in touch and have a closer connection with everybody. But there there does have to... I think there's a limit. Uh, mm, and then there's a, lot of, there's a lot of these fake ones as well. And of course, yeah. people have, you know, screwed it up a little bit but yeah it's I think it's going to get bigger I think that's a qualified yes isn't it I guess yeah. so that yeah. was kind of a waffled answer wasn't it well no, no, well, that, well, well it's I mean waffle is what a lot of it's about isn't it <laughs> yes anyway, it is anyway, only uh, in 40 characters uh, yes that's right yes waffle in 40 characters <laughs> no, something I can't do myself actually <laughs> um, what about Le Mans this, uh, this comes from uh, Michael Hamadka I think that's how you pronounce it um, you know Indian Le Mans be a couple of good things to have, wouldn't it? I was going to say, is that from Marino Franchitti? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it is, it's not easy. Um, yeah, I, 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 I love driving all different types of car, and that's one of the things that Indy cars allowed me to do that Formula One certainly wouldn't have. And I, my, you know, my heroes all did that. They all jumped back and forwards, and sometimes, and a lot of times, in one day. Yeah. You know, certainly, yeah. and so. I've been lucky enough to drive all these different cars, you know, when there was that one great 12-month period where we won Daytona, uh, Sebring, in our class with the, the Acura, with Tony and, and Brian Herta, Indy, the championship, Daytona 24 hours, and that was kind of, and then I went mm. to NASCAR and brought me back down to earth, <laughs> <laughs> about three seconds flat, but that, that I would love to do, in, to, to do Le Mans. I went there for the first time two years ago um, with my friend Kevin McGarity, him and I did a, did a road trip down took one of my old Porsches down and broke down on the way home. <laughs> but um, I loved it, and I loved experiencing it as a fan, but I really want to get in there. Um, but again, with similar to Formula 1, I want to get in there in something I've got a chance at winning with. I don't just want to show up and, you know, not uh, not have a chance. And I, I, I see the diesel and the petrol cars getting closer together, mm -hmm. which does open things up a bit mm. so that that mm. could be exciting Dario and an Aston Martin <coughs> that sounds quite good doesn't it you've not that came very close actually did it? I, I couldn't do it I couldn't I couldn't get in because uh, I think I was racing somewhere but the guys at Aston um, we did I, I talked to them they those guys and I said this to David Richard they need everybody should give him a pat on the back for the noise yeah. that car made. oh yes absolutely all cars should sound like that. Yeah. Even, even the, I think the diesel should have to have like megaphones on the back that yeah. play that noise <laughs> as they drive around. Yeah. 
I've got video that I stood out at, uh, I think it was at, um, at Indianapolis, at the corner at in Indianapolis, and took video at two o'clock in the morning of that thing just screaming away in the distance. <laughs> it's brilliant. It is absolutely mm. glorious noise, and it looks great too, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. doesn't yeah. produce much downforce, supposedly, <laughs> but it doesn't, doesn't <laughs> but hey. for Le Mans. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, uh, on the subject of uh, driving other things, I think it w it, it, we should really ask you briefly what you think about what happened to Robert Kubica in the sense that, you know, should he have been doing it type of thing? I asked this last night, and I... Definitely mixed views. I can I can almost see it from both sides. As a driver, yeah, he wants to do it, and good luck to him. The fact that he's got that passion for I mean, I've read Nigel's stuff a lot, and you mm. say that he's you know he's just he's a driver. He's, he, he's he a is. driver. He, 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 all the sort of bling of Formula One completely leaves him cold. Yeah, that, that's all he wants to do. And that's one thing I love about Paul. Yeah, you know, he's he's he's, he's moved to Monaco and all that. And I sat with him two days ago, and he turned and he said, "You know, what I really miss." I thought, well, "Here we go." I thought he was going to say Iron Brew or, or something like that, but <laughs> <coughs> he said, I really miss going into the garages and working on my little brother's go-kart. Mm. But for Robert, I, he, he can see he loves it. and, mm. good, and It's just horrible luck that that happened, mm. that he hit the car, you know, as usual, mm. just when you right at the wrong spot. And um, as a team owner, I can understand you and... and my, I have been restricted in my activities, having broken my back on a, on a motorbike sort of eight years ago. Mm. Uh, my, my, you know, off-track activities were severely restricted after mm. that. But mm. Um, mm. Uh, there's one part of me says, yeah, just let them, let them yeah. have let the drivers do what they want. But I just don't see it happening anymore, especially now. Um, no. It's it's not going to happen, which is a shame because it would be much it would be nice to as a rally fan it'd be great to go to a rally and see him run yeah. it'd be great to see Rossi doing what he yeah. likes to do it'd be great to see them say hey screw it I'm going to go do yeah. I'm going to go do a sports car race this yeah. weekend but they, they're, they're, they're very the top guys are, are, are a, a very rare commodity and yeah. um, and they're paid a lot of money oh they are yeah absolutely um, so it's it, yeah that, that that it's a it's a real a real shame but I, I can understand where the where the teams are coming from? Yeah, I mean, I, I used to, you know, God knows, the first year I started doing this. It, I mean, it, 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 when Pedro Rodriguez was killed, I mean, you know, I was I was a great fan of his, and it broke my heart when he was killed. But it's it was sort of somehow worse that it was in a stupid little meaningless, yeah, interseries race, the Norris Ring, yeah, race, yeah. The Norris Ring. Mm. you know, and and I I in fact it was one of the first interviews I ever did when I was when I was a journalist when he was driving for BRM at, uh, at Recar. Um, and then it was, I think it was like I don't know, three weeks later this happened. And it was my first sort of experience of that. And I just thought, oh, you know, what the hell were you doing? Jesus, you know, you're a superstar. What were you doing in an inter-series race? Look but, at Jimmy. But, yeah, Jimmy and the F2. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah, exactly right. Well, just um, the same thing. Well, last That's thought, Rob. Yeah. Last thought before we wrap up. How many current racing drivers could we sit here and talk to who would know that Pedro Rodriguez was killed at the Norris Ring? That's, that's, uh, uh, that doesn't happen every day. About well, one. How, many, how many current drivers would, yeah. would know Pedro Rodriguez was? Yeah. Well, yes. I guess you do realise how, how different from your <laughs> fellows you are. I mean, I, I remember, you remember a couple of years ago at Daytona when 
Brian Redman was the Grand yeah. Marshal, you remember? Yeah. And you couldn't wait, to, when we were going to the dinner on the Friday evening, you couldn't wait to hear Brian talking about his career and his life. Yeah. And do you remember, and JPM was there, <laughs> and I said, are you going? And he said, he sort of made a face, sort of, what's that all about? I said, Brian Redman's there, and he says, who? Oh, who? <laughs> no. Yeah. And then he said, I think there was two words, the second one of which was no. <laughs> that's right, that's right. <laughs> yeah. But, but the point is, I mean, he is typical, you're not. <laughs> well... I see that because when I sit and talk to some of the guys, Graham Rahal actually is, is he yeah, is. That's true. Graham and I sit. And we his, can, dad, his dad Bob, was the same too. Yeah, so. Bob and I sit for yeah, hours and yeah. yak on about the, you know, different. What were we talking about the other day? We're talking about the Bell Star helmet. Remember the one with yes, the two yes, eye holes? Yes, Bob yes. and I talked about that at 20 minutes for dinner, and the <laughs> other people at dinner were rolling their eyes. But I, I'll go to dinner with, the, with my with the guys who I race against now, and I'll start talking about. You know, whether it's old drivers or, or, or some of the old cars, and um, yeah, they just don't get it. But I'm lucky because my little brother is, is, yeah. is exactly the yeah, same I as know I is. Yeah, and I we know can, and Marino and I can go back and forward, and 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 we, you know, kind of bounce things off each other. Yeah, and he's just the same. Yeah, but I mean, for instance, when you drove the 38, you know, how many, how many of your fellow IndyCar drivers asked you about it or were interested? No, not many. No, you know, I no. tell you, Chip. Chip was really, was really taken by that. Yeah. Chip was the fact. I jumped off a plane from Japan to drive the car. Yeah. Um, and then went and did some testing. And Chip was really. I think it kind of touched something, some mm. nerve in Chip that he that I would go and do that. And he was he was very. He, he I think he has a, a, a sense of the history of the whole yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very sorry, everybody, but we have to wrap it up there. Uh, we've been going for over an hour, and I'm absolutely sure Dario has lots of things to do. His phone is ringing now, which is always a sign. That <laughs> it's probably not it's probably It's probably <laughs> Audi or Peugeot, you know. I so. You never know, do you? Uh, anyway, um, thank you very much. No, it's Marino. <laughs> it's, it's Marino. Okay. It's a family call, folks. Um, thank you very much. It's really a bit of a cliche, but it's been a fantastic fun, fantastic pleasure. Thank, thank you, you so much uh, to Dario Franchitti. And we'll be back, uh, of course, uh, that's uh, Nigel Roebuck, Damien Smith, and I will be back for another Motorsport Magazine podcast in about three to four weeks' time. Goodbye. Motorsport Magazine, for the very best in motor racing. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.